so good to have been with you through some of the Psalms this summer. We will continue uh, for a few more weeks, and then I'm, I'm prayerfully considering where we'll go next. I'm, I'm looking at the Gospel of Mark, and haven't 100% committed to that yet, but I believe, uh, if you made me answer your question right now, where we'll be in September uh, after Labor Day, I'm thinking of the Gospel of Mark, the, the servant king, uh, the one who came to save sinners, Mark 10, 45, to give his life as a ransom for us. But today we find ourselves in Psalm 9 and 10, and I, I've titled this message, The Remembered and the Forgotten. The Remembered and the Forgotten. Did, did you remember what's coming up tomorrow? Did you bring your glasses? These, these as you know, are, are not Eclipse certified glasses. These, in fact, are cheap wind-shaped sunglasses, and, and they, they're not going to work. They're not going to be effective. And so, you know, an eclipse is coming, and apparently it's a really big deal, and as parents, we should have planned for this a long time ago, but we didn't. And so, I don't know, halfway through the week last week, we decided, well, I decided, yeah, just go get some glasses. No, you, you won't. There are none available. And so, well, I can go online and I can buy 25 pair for $100 and $47 expedited shipping. So uh, a high school friend tells me online, hey, I've got some extra. You can buy some pairs, some for me. I just need you to drive out to Bedford. And so I was going to do that. And I, I went to dinner with my, my parents on, uh, I don't know, two nights ago. And my mom says, hey, I just wanted you to know, you know, uh, several weeks ago I ordered you and your kids some Eclipse viewing glasses, and I'm going to bring them by your house tomorrow night. Oh, thanks, Mom. Yeah, I appreciate that. Because my mother, like our Heavenly Father, remembered me. My mom, long before I recognized what I was going to need, went before me and made provision for me and for my family, something that... If it had been up to me, I'd have been without. I'd, I'd have had to do without it, and I guess I would have had to watch the full eclipse streamed over NASA from somewhere else. But my mom remembered me. And Psalm 9 and 10 use the words remembered and forgotten in, in interesting, intersecting... Um, they, they, they're a word play. They play off of each other. And the, there's an irony here that those who are remembered seem forgotten in this world, and those who think they, they've got the world by the tail end up being eternally forgotten. It's, it's a contrast between the remembered and the forgotten. This psalm looks with thanksgiving at the beginning to the Most High God, verse 2 of chapter 9, as David looks with confidence to the day that the wicked from among the nations, will come to their endless end. Do you see that in verse 6? In perpetual ruins? Uh, there, there's a stream of thinking out there that believes the wicked will just be annihilated, that they'll just perish, that they'll just cease to exist. But the testimony of both the Old Testament and the New Testament is that those who die apart from the righteousness that God has provided for us through Jesus, that they die in their sins and they end, but they never end. That they go to a perpetual end, an endless end. 
The very memory of them from the vantage point of the victorious, from the vantage point of the remembered, those who now dwell in the new heavens and the new earth, their memory has perished. Those who wanted to make a name for themselves have found that their name is blotted out forever and ever. In Psalm 10, the psalmist wants the King, King Jesus, the Lord, to bring His certain victory to all who are oppressed and belong to Him. He writes as though it has already happened. And yet he lives in the world knowing that he's still living in anticipation of his coming king. The king he writes about at the end of chapter 10. In these psalms we find there are two categories of people. The remembered, verse 12. Those he has once and for all remembered. And the forgotten, verse 6. Those whose even their memory perishes. In these psalms... These forgotten and these remembered are divided by the death and the resurrection of the Son, which is described in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 9. You see, the forgotten are described as the enemies of God's King, 9-3. The nations, 9-5. The wicked, 9-5, 10-2, 10-4, 10-13, The evildoer, 10-15. The greedy, 10-3. The haughty and the proud, 10-4. And the oppressor, of the innocent, 10-2 and 7-9. through 9. They want to undermine the coming king and they want to undermine the king's people. That's you and me. That's all who belong to God through faith in Jesus. But there are also those whom the Lord has remembered, verse 12 of chapter 9. And here's the irony. Those who are remembered by God are His covenant people and yet it is His very people who are for a little while oppressed, afflicted, needy, unfortunate, or poor, and the orphan. Though God is our Father to the perspective of the world, it seems as though we are the fatherless. You know, one of the key indicators that God has remembered you is that there are times it seems like God has forgotten. And then you Look to the Scriptures and you find your hope in the truth that God has remembered you in the death and the resurrection of His Son. You look back to the faithfulness of God in sending Christ and then you look forward with confidence to Christ's coming. His judgment will be our final and forever victory. Did you know there's going to be a day when there won't be any more police officers? There won't be any more military? There won't be any more pharmaceutical industry? No more wars or rumors of war. Only basking and serving and delighting in the glory of Jesus who has come in His righteousness and subdued every single enemy, even death. That's the message and the promise of Psalm 9 and 10. Though God's enemies think they are invincible, 10.6, they are forgotten forever. And though God's covenant people are afflicted, the Lord has already remembered us in Christ. You, you, I can't walk through a week without facing some sort of affliction. Whether it's external or internal. Whether it's the flesh and the selfishness of this old preacher, or whether it's the world wanting to undermine what Christ wants to do in my life. There's enemy opposition, but the promise of Psalm 9 and 10 is that the Lord has already remembered me in Christ, and that I am empowered and equipped through the Spirit of God to live with confidence in His ultimate victory. So then, 
The question that Psalm 9 and 10 raises, if, if the death, burial, and resurrection creates two categories of people, we often call them lost and saved, but Psalm 9 and 10 calls them remembered and forgotten. The question is, are you among the remembered or the forgotten? You see, the forgotten are arrogant in their wicked opposition to God and His people. They're not ashamed of it. Those who are forgotten are enemies of God and they're proud to be enemies of God. In pride, they hotly pursue the afflicted, 10.2. The wicked acts in the haughtiness of his countenance, 10.4. He curses and spurns the Lord, 10.3. His mouth is full of curses and deceit and oppression, 10.7. He lurks to catch the afflicted, 10.9. In the hiding places, he kills the innocent. Well, there's only one who's innocent and that is Christ our King, what does that mean? It means He kills those who share in the innocence of Christ. Those who are allied with Christ. There, there is enemy opposition for those who have allied themselves with the One who is innocent. This means there's coming a day, unless they repent and confess their sin and find that Jesus is their Savior, there's coming a day when terrorists will be vanquished. When abortionists will be vanquished. When secular humanists who want to marginalize and undermine those who have a faith witness in the workplace and in the university. When those who want to say to a, a, a baker, you, you have to bake a cake for a union of a man and a man or a woman and a woman and we don't believe that that's true but we're going to force you as the government to come in and do that or we're going to fine you $150,000. There's coming a day that those people will pay the ultimate price for their wickedness and their opposition to the people of God. And yet there's hope even for those who are our enemies that they would come before it's too late to find that God has also made a way to remember them in Christ. The forgotten are characterized by self-confidence and a self-focus that makes them numb to the saving presence of God in His world. Their rebellion doesn't bother them. The wicked, the one who is eternally forgotten, says to himself, do you see this in 10.6? I will not be moved. You ever met a person like that? You try to talk to them about Christ or the Gospel and impress upon them the fact that their lives are broken and that God has made a world and a design for them that they can pursue through the Spirit of God and they say, I don't need that stuff. I won't be moved. Well, there's coming a day they'll be moved. At the end of chapter 9, we find they'll be turned over or moved to Sheol, the abode of the wicked forever and ever. While the forgotten arrogantly attack God's people, the remembered are the humble, depending upon the Lord their King to win the war against every enemy of His righteousness. In 10, 17, and 18, we read these words, O Lord, You have heard the desire of the humble. Our, our confidence in our victory is not what we can do. It is our humble surrender to Christ and His agenda. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to vindicate the orphan and the oppressed. You see, the humble don't resort to themselves, but look to the Lord who is a stronghold for the oppressed, a strong tower for the oppressed in times of trouble, 9.9. Nine. They say with David in 9.19, Arise, O Lord. That word arise means to arise in judgment. Do not let man prevail. Let nations be judged before you. And then in 10.12, again we read the word arise. Arise in judgment. O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the afflicted. Did you know the people 
who have entered into the remembrance of God, those who have placed their hope and faith in the death and the burial and the resurrection and the ascension and the future coming of Christ, that we can call on God to remember. We can ask Him to remember us. The same language that we see in verse 12 is used in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11, when Hannah, who does not have a son, prays to God and she says, O Lord, remember me and do not forget your maidservant. The exact same words. We're asking God to come and take decisive action on our behalf, to give us His victory over every enemy. All it takes, by the way, is for God to lift His hand in verse 12, to break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer in verse 10, 15. Indeed, I submit to you that God could probably just flick his little finger and break the arm of the wicked. The remembered believe the Lord is a forever king who will personally return to judge the world in righteousness and complete his forever salvation when the Lord returns and vanquishes every enemy nation from his land. Verse 10, 16 terror on the earth will cease because those who did not fear God will never again inflict, in, inflict fear. In that day and in the land that God is taking us to, there will be no fear other than the fear and the reverence of the Lord. But the wicked do not share this perspective. You see, the wicked, the forgotten, also have a misplaced confidence in humanity. In these psalms, the wicked are often called the nations. The nations are pictured as God's enemies because they are the ones who refuse to become God's peoples. Verse 8. This psalm uses a contrast between the words peoples and nations. The, the nations that God's, God sends His Son to save, they are consistently referred to as nations in Psalm 9 and 10 because they never jettison their national identity for the superior identity that they have as simply the worldwide people of God. Their identity and allegiances in their natural state never eclipse the conditions of their humanity. The wicked are those who never learn, verse 20 of chapter 9, they are but men. They are consumed by what they hope that humanity can accomplish rather than gratefully and eternally dependent upon what God has done. The forgotten have no need for a God who remembers His covenant promises in Christ, for they say... I will not be in adversity. I won't have trouble in this life. I'm the captain of my destiny. I can do what I want. I can say what I want to say. There is no God to whom I am accountable. I am man. Hear me roar. The remembered, however, have a sure confidence, not in themselves, not in their national identity, but in their coming king. Did you know that you have more in common with an oppressed Christian in a Chinese prison cell than you do with a good old Bubba boy drinking a six-pack on his back porch in Roanoke, Virginia? If you belong to Jesus, you have more in common with a Chinese Christian 
in the horrors of oppression of a prison cell than you do with a good old boy in Roanoke, Virginia. Because the identity that you share with that Chinese Christian, the hope that you share with that Chinese Christian, is what you share in common that will never perish, will never fail, and will never fade away. And if we don't get that perspective, North Roanoke Baptist Church, we have not yet pressed into the place where God wants us to be as His people. His people who will be in His land forever and ever under the reign of our omnipotent, eternal, benevolent, loving, righteous King. For the remembered, our confidence is not in ourselves. It's not in where we were born. It's not in who our parents are or what sport we played way back when. We all used to be great at something. Our primary focus is not any of those things. It is simply this. We belong to God. 9, 8, and 11. We are His people. And He is the one who guides us from a level place. This is the same language as Psalm 67. He leads us in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. We are the daughter of Zion. We are His bride. We're the people of His city. The citizens of heaven already seated in the heavenlies in Jesus Christ. Though we are orphans and afflicted and needy and poor and unfortunate in this world, we are nevertheless children of God whose faith in Jesus will be vindicated by Jesus our King Himself, 10.18, that is our hope. While the wicked boast of their own desires, we sing praises to the Lord who dwells in the heavenly city of Zion and we declare among the peoples His deeds. Verse 11 of chapter 9. Do you see that? We sing and we declare. Why do we sing and then preach? Sing and then preach? Because it's not just in the New Testament model, it's in the Old Testament in verse 11 of chapter 9. We sing His praises. We declare who He is. We sing it on our lips and then we declare it through the preaching of the gospel. And He is our forever King. And He is the one in whom we boast because He hears the desire of the humble. And what is our desire? Ultimately, is not our desire that we would be with Him and He with us, united forever with our forever King and His forever kingdom. Throughout the Scriptures, we see that God is on mission to save a people drawn from all nations. And when we come to Him, our focus moves from what nations and countries can do in the world to what our God has done and is doing in the world through Christ to gather for Himself a people from among all nations. This changes the way you watch the news, by the way. North Korea, what's going on in Charlottesville... What's going on with this hot spot and this Christ? Oh, I'm pulling my hair out. We're gonna, what's going to happen to America? What's going to happen around the world? And, and to be sure, we should pray about those things. But, but I see a purpose over the purposes that Fox News or CNN or MSNBC sees. I see that God is moving the peoples of the world. That God is in control. And He's allowing things to happen that would be in, happen in such a way that He draws people into His kingdom. Of God. Though there are times that the opposition is so great that we ask, Why do you stand off, O Lord? Verse 1 of chapter 10. We ask this question not so much to receive an explanation as to prod God to action. You see, those whom God has remembered are freed to ask Him to act in a way that is consistent with His promises. It's okay for you 
to go to God if you are in Christ and to beg Him to give you victory over sin, death, selfishness, greed, anger, bitterness, anxiety, whatever you're wrestling with, whatever you're struggling against, it's okay to go to God and say, God, remember me. We are free to ask the God who promised to make us His people to rise up and be our strength in whatever storm we are facing. To the end that we would become more like Jesus and less like the nations who forget their need for God. That's what we're praying for, church. We're, we're not praying for these minor afflictions and adversities to go away just because we don't like adversity. We're praying that through the adversity that God would shape us and make us more like Jesus and more like the peoples that He's making us to be when we see Him face to face. That we wouldn't be that far from already being like the King that we are so eager to behold. When we get saved, every other identity we cherish pales in comparison to this. We are children of God forever, remembered at the cross by God. And no matter what afflictions we face, we can say with Paul that they are momentary and light afflictions, producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look at the things which are seen. Not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We do not yet see our King, but our King is coming. And that coming King, the Lord Jesus Christ, is our confidence. Finally, the forgotten forget God and believe God is forgotten. Do you get the irony? The way to assure that your name will be vanquished and forever forgotten is to think that God is forgotten or that He doesn't exist, that He's not there. Why do those whose names will be blotted out and forever forgotten, why are they so oppressive in their wickedness? Why are the authorities and the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms so audacious in their traps and in their deception? It's because all nations forget God, 9.17. No country or people is exempt from the sinful tendency to want to throw off God and to forget His just demands and to pursue our own way. And what does this lead the wicked to do? It leads them to declare there is no God, 10.4. Or the wicked looks at all the damage that he is causing. And it seems like he's not being held accountable for it. And he says to himself in 10.11, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. They believe that they have eclipsed their need for God. Though God declares the price of wickedness is everlasting death and perpetual destruction, they do not believe they will be held accountable for their rebellion against God and their oppression of God's people. They say, God will not require it. 10.13 The arrogant audacity of our enemies comes from their view of God. And the only hope they have is the same hope that we had. That the God who remembers His covenant and keeps His promises and turns the wicked of the nations into people of God through the cross of Christ, that God would find them and that they would repent and believe and find salvation. Otherwise, God will hold them accountable and they will turn to Sheol, to the abode of the dead, to the everlasting place of torment of hell in 9.17. Why? Because the God who remembers His covenant promises, and this is so important, 
the God who remembers His covenant promises has not forgotten His righteous demands. There's a world out there that thinks, well, God sent Jesus and He died for me at the cross, but I don't really have to believe in Him or live for Him or worry about what that means for my life. I don't have to respond to that because God is love, and if God is love, surely there's no eternal punishment anywhere. But you missed the boat here. God has remembered His covenant promises and He's done it in a particular way. He's done it through Jesus. And if you'd missed the boat on coming through Jesus, then you remain among the forgotten. If you're trying to get in by being a good person, doing good deeds, having a good career, having a good education, being around kids and helping them get a good start in life, all those good things, if that is what you think is going to deliver you into the kingdom of God, you still have not provided for God what God requires. And what God requires is a blood that speaks a better word than the blood of the innocent son Abel who was slain by Cain and Jesus tells us through the author of Hebrews that there's a blood that speaks a better word and in verse 12 of chapter 9 God tells us that the Lord has remembered and he has provided he has provided what he requires the blood that he requires for sin is provided through his son Jesus and that is how God has remembered when it says that God has remembered it doesn't mean that he forgot It doesn't mean He's had a mental lapse. It doesn't mean our omniscient God had a need for a spark or a cup of coffee or an extra shot in His latte or an energy drink. It means that God stooped low and He stepped into the world to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. When we ran out of options, when I sat at that table and my mom voluntarily, and we weren't even talking about the eclipse, she goes, oh, by the way, we've got eclipse glasses for you. And she didn't even know the conversation I had with Stacy. I'm going to drive all the way to Bedford and spend $40 for four pair of glasses. And my mom had already provided for me what I needed, and I wasn't even thinking about it. And she showed up and said, hey, how about some glasses? That's what God did for you and me and Jesus. We were the wicked. We were the forgotten. We said there is no God. We don't care about God. And then God came down in the person of His Son, and He walked And He lived the life that we would never live. And He died the death that we deserved to die. And then He gave us His Word, which shows us from cover to cover, you should expect that you need God to do something for you. And He did it exactly as He promised He would. God has provided through Jesus what we needed. He has remembered those who call on Jesus in faith. The blood of bulls and goats and sheep was not enough. The sin kept coming. But in Christ the Son, the Lord has provided for His people what He requires from His people. That's the message of verses 13 and 14 of chapter 9. There was one who would come to put an end to the reign of sin and death. Though His enemies would kill Him, God would lift Him from the gates of death. Do you see that in verse 13? And He would recount all the praises of God at the gates of the city His heavenly city, over the daughter of Zion, verse 14. Christ has been lifted up, Peter tells us in his Pentecost sermon, almost quoting from Psalm chapter 9, verse 13 and 14. Christ has been lifted up so that salvation, God's salvation may be our salvation, that we may be with God our King and He with us as He sings of God's salvation over us, we learn in Zephaniah. As Zephaniah writes in, Chapter 3, verse 17. 
the Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. He is going to war against all the enemies of sin, Satan, the flesh, and the devil. And there's coming a day he will take great delight in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. And for those who trust in Christ, we not only sing to him, but one day soon we will hear our King singing over us. If you died today, if you didn't get to leave this sanctuary this day, would you be among the remembered or the forgotten? The only way that we can be remembered is verse 11 of chapter 9. Those who know your name will put their trust in you. And when we put our trust in the Lord, we find this promise is true. The Lord, O Lord, you have not forsaken those who seek you. Have you placed your faith in a God who sent His Son to provide the very blood for you that He required? Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we thank You for the message of Psalm 9 and 10. We thank You that Your victory is sure. We thank You that the provision of Christ's blood is enough. And we thank You that though for a little while we feel afflicted, that our afflictions are momentary and light by comparison with the eternal weight of glory that awaits those who trust in You. God, have Your will and Your way as we respond. In Jesus' name, Amen. As we stand to sing, I don't know your need. Maybe you want to be a part of a church that believes God sent His Son and His Son makes all the difference. If that's your desire, we invite you to come and partner with us on mission. Or maybe, just maybe, you've lived a life trusting in yourself, not really trusting in Christ. Make it right before it's too late. I invite you to stand as we sing.